Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Thank you for joining me for Episode 6 of Reaching the Unchurched, 12 Dynamics for Impact. This is uh, one of my favorites, and I'm so excited to be able to share it with you. We're going to begin right away with dynamic number seven, redefine the mission field. This is huge. We talk about the mission field sometimes as over there somewhere. That's where we send missionaries. That's where these pagans live. Not very politically correct, but that's the way we think about it, that it's far away. And you know what? That is the mission field. What we don't always quite get as clearly is that the mission field is also right here in our own backyard. So here in episode six, we're going to look at redefining the mission field. This is a a big deal for churches, a big deal for Christians. So let's think about this for a minute. How do most churches uh, define their immediate mission field? Not the one where they have missionaries overseas, but, but just their immediate mission field. How do they do that? How do the people in the church view the mission field? If you ask them, what's your mission field here? Right in close by. Most Christians have the detrimental worldview that the mission field of their church is a location that is some distance around their church building. Years ago, I I used to see it a lot. Not so much anymore. But you'd see a map of some town or city or whatever, county, and there'd be a pin where the church is, and they'd draw a circle around that and say, this is our immediate mission field. That's a terrible strategy. And there was a time in my life after I'd been to seminary and graduate school where I myself did that. I didn't know anything about missions then. Just like a lot of pastors, I was trained to manage Christians in churches. I wasn't trained to be a missionary to America and equip my people to be missionaries until later. So at first, yeah, I did it too. So I can't believe it, but now I realize what a terrible thing that is to do. Why? Because it's geographic. It's about the proximity to an institution. So it frames mission as being the work of the institution. As time went on, some of the church growth people got a little wiser, and they said, you know, people don't measure things by distance anymore. You don't say, how long does it take to get to the grocery store? I mean, they don't, they don't say, how many miles is it to the grocery store? They say, how long does it take to get there? It's all about minutes. We measure distance by minutes or hours. Uh, we're going to go see Grandma. Oh, yeah. How far is that? Oh, it's about two hours. Okay. So that was a reconstruction at a at a, a step that I noticed when they started drawing the circle on the map based on 
how many minutes. And in those days, to the point where I had matured as a consultant, it made sense to me. I just said, you know, change that map and start putting it out 12 minutes. That's what I read somewhere. People who are not committed to Christianity, if they're invited, are willing to spend that much time getting to your church. And if you live in a busy traffic area, it's going to be less distance away than if you live somewhere or your church is somewhere where you're right on a highway, easy access, so on and so forth. But then from mission training, I learned that mission is and always has been not about that. It's not about the building, not about the distance. It's not even about inviting people to church. It's about relationships. This makes a totally different, huge paradigm shift that is so effective for churches. You'd wonder where it's been all these years. And maybe you already have it. I don't know. But a lot of churches I go to, like, this is what? Never thought of it that way. Your church's mission field and the most receptive people, the low-hanging fruit, that first big surge of people to reach for Jesus Christ has nothing to do with miles or minutes, has nothing to do with the building. And believe it or not, sounds like heresy, but believe it or not, it has very little to do with worship if you're talking about mission and outreach. Worship's important, but I'll get to that. No, the mission field for your church is the sum total of the unchurched friends, relatives, neighbors, fellow students at school, for people that go to school, or co-workers at work of the people that are in the church, everybody in the church. That is the way the movement moves. That is the way the mission happens most often, most effectively. So the primary mission field in your church is not about a map at all. It's about gathering the social network information of those in your church, that social network of people that the people in your church have a personal relationship with that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, what that does is it changes from an institutional programmatic understanding of mission to a personal relational networking movement. So it's not institutional. It's not programmatic. It's a relational kind of contagion like spreading the flu. It's about individual relationships. This approach, which is biblical, is the approach that changes the potential of your church to a point where it builds 80% of the mission of your church belongs not to the building, not to the institution, not to the staff, not to a program, but it becomes very personal. Each person is divinely placed into relationships for eternal purposes. 
Now that's a huge paradigm shift. And the results are just as huge. So how do you measure that? How do you graphically... It's easy to put a dot on a map and draw a circle around it. Even when you're dealing with time, it won't look like a circle, but you follow the major arteries and all that stuff. But how do you visualize this? Well, you do it in a personal way. In another one of these episodes, I talked a little bit about the sociogram. It's where you ask the people in your church to identify those people who they observe, can't see into people's heart, but they observe people that are not functionally Christians, that are in their social network. It's a lot easier now to find who's in your social network and think about them than it was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you have to sit down with a pencil and think about it. Now, you just look at your friends on Facebook or you look at the people in your, on your phone directory. Those are the people you're in contact with. And even if they live in another state, they must be part of your relationship network or they wouldn't be in your phone directory. And so what we did when we learned this principle at my church when I was a pastor is we asked people to fill out what we call a sociogram. It's a very simple piece of paper. We have them in our office if you want a sample, but they're very, very easy to construct. You just take a piece of paper, 8.5 by 11, turn on its side, and upper left-hand corner, you put the word friends. Then in the lower left-hand corner, you put relatives. Then in the upper right-hand corner, you put those people that are at work or school. And at the lower right-hand corner, you put those people who live in proximity to you, are in your apartment building or live in your neighborhood or whatever. And you interact with them once in a while because they live nearby. And so these are the people that if you know enough to know that they most likely are not regularly church attenders, they are in your low-hanging fruit sociogram. So what you do with that is you put that on your bathroom mirror or somewhere where you go every day. And you ask people to pray for them. What I did when we had our people in our church do that, first of all, I spent quite a bit of time changing their spiritual culture to understand that we're in a mission and that our primary purpose is to share Jesus with other people because that's an eternal event every time God makes it happen. So I spent a lot of time building that kingdom culture. And when they were ready, we just did this simple exercise. But I made it a contest. I said, like anybody who guesses, when we get the f final number of all the people that our people know that are in our immediate area that would actually come to our church, not counting the people you know in a faraway place that you could still witness to, maybe by email, phone, on Skype, whatever. Yeah. How many of those people in our immediate area that ultimately, if they come to know Jesus, would actually think about worshiping where you worship at our church. And I had a contest, and I said, yeah, the person that gets closest to whatever number it is, I, I didn't have a clue. We'll take you and your spouse, if you have one, out to dinner at the place of your choice. My wife and I will take you out on us on an evening, 
of your choice, when it works for all of us, to any restaurant of your choice, we'll pick up the tab. As it turned out, we had a lady that won the contest, and her husband was an inactive worshiper of our church. He was on the rolls but never came. And my wife and I had a whole evening with him. And guess what? After that, he started coming to church. Don't tell me God doesn't have a plan. (laughs) It was worth every penny of that meal. What a great strategy. And uh, he had a good time. He found out that we were okay people. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't even cost that much. They picked a place that was pretty good. (laughs) Anyway, we had a great time. So we had fun doing it. But when we reported to our congregation, the hundreds of people, our small church at that time, knew it blew people away. And their vision of our mission, potential, just accelerated of the people that God had literally put into our social network lap right in front of us all the time. And it put them on that paper, put it where we pray every day, slowly built their consciousness. We never said they had to be the agent, the missionary. Never told them that. Never had program. Nothing like that. We started a movement as they simply prayed. Yeah, I believe God answered prayer about the receptivity of those people. Of course I thought about that. God wants those people to know Jesus. But it also did something to our people. And they didn't even see it coming. Kind of what Jesus did with the disciples. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000, and he said, guys, you hand out the food. Now, look, anybody that can take a few loaves and a couple of fish and feed 5,000 people, if you can do that miracle, it's a snap to hand it out. I mean, God could have really impressed those people and just made it happen. He's a miracle worker. Why in the world would he ask his disciples to hand it out? I'll tell you why. They never forgot it. It was only a few days later, give or take, that these guys were in a boat. Jesus came walking to them on the water. And Peter said, yeah, you know, Lord, if you call me, I can walk on that water too. (laughs) Yeah, I love Peter. Now, where would he get the idea he could do that? And he could be part of that. Because a few days earlier, he literally handed out the food. And he saw before his very eyes, it never ran out. So when you ask people to pray for people in their social network to come know Jesus, you don't have to lean on them and say, hey, you know, you're the missionary there. You're the one. You're the connection. You're God's person. You're God's agent. You don't have to do that. Just pray. Pray for these people. And God's going to answer your prayer. What I didn't tell them is, Don't be surprised at all that God decides to use you to make it happen. Like, it's not rocket science. But most people never even thought about it. They said, yeah, I can pray. You know, I'm shaving in the morning or I'm putting on my makeup or whatever people do. You know, yeah, yeah, big deal. Yeah, I'll pray for these people. That's not too much to ask. You know, I don't even have to get dressed up yet. So, yeah, I can do that. I go there every day anyhow. Before long, it was starting to sink in. These people were looking into that bathroom mirror, and they weren't seeing the same person, even though they didn't know it. They were looking at a missionary. God snuck up on them from behind. (laughs) 
It's the best way. It's the way a movement works. Come on. It isn't that hard. This is great stuff. This is amazing stuff. So, yeah, the movement moves through relationships. And that brings us to dynamic number eight. Reverse the direction. It's kind of related. We have focused so long about inviting people to church. And I believe there was a time, I don't know when, maybe long before you were born, and about the time I was born, maybe in the 1950s, right after World War II, late 40s, early 50s, where the climate was such that a lot of people, you could invite them to church. It was kind of a big deal. People would come. That day is so far gone, it might as well have been 300 years ago. It is a distant memory. Except there are a lot of churches that are still inviting people to church. Bring a friend to church Sunday. Well, that's fine if your friend is a Christian. But if they're a non-Christian in the world we live in today on this mission field, that's probably a negative idea. That probably will hinder your mission effectiveness more than help it. Now, I don't want to get taken wrong about this. If you got a friend who's not a Christian and they say, I'd really like to try your church, don't, you know, stop and say, oh, no, wait a minute. You know, I'd love to take, you know, I'd love to take you to our church. But I heard the church doctors say, that's really a stupid idea. So, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to take you to church. You know, uh, please take the miracle in front of you at face value and don't invite him to church. Bring him with you and sit with him and take him through all the things and translate all the things that they don't have a clue what are going on. It's rare, but God does miracles, so there's room for that. But as a major strategy of your church, don't do that anymore. Instead of bringing people to church that are unchurched people, focus on taking church to those people, at least at the beginning of their journey. There will come a time when it's important to get them to church. But in a secular nation, you cannot ask a baby, someone who is just an infant, maybe curious about Jesus. You can't do anything but baby steps. When you try to invite them to church, you're asking them as a baby to run a mile. It's not going to happen especially true of unchurched people. Even if they haven't been to church for 20 years, but before that they had some kind of a relationship with church, even then they've had 20 years of secular world. Be very, very careful. So this goes for those who are not Christians and even to some degree for those who are long-time lapsed Christians. So don't bring unchurched people to worship. Think about it. Why would they want to worship God, which is what we do in worship? We worship God. Why would somebody who doesn't believe in God yet, even though they might be pulled a little bit by the Holy Spirit toward being interested, 
why would they want to worship a God they don't believe in yet? That didn't make any sense. Not to mention all the foreign stuff to them that they're not ready to deal with. They're going to have culture shock. They're going to be uncomfortable. It could do more harm than good. Now, I know that sounds crazy to have some guy who's considered by at least some people an expert. Not my wife, but a lot of other people. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But, you know, it it sounds really weird. I know. And pastors kind of take a gulp when I say this. But don't do that to people. Don't bring unchurched people to worship. You'd be far better off to invite them to lunch. Far better off inviting to coffee or whatever works for them. So let's do a scenario. My friend Joe at work, let, I'm just going to pretend. Let's say I, I work at some, some workplace and I got a friend. And my friend Joe, never been to church. I know him well enough. A lot of times we eat lunch together at work. We talk on breaks. And all of a sudden, Joe opens up about something going on. Now, I'll just make something up. Something going on in his marriage. He and his wife are having challenges. But the real challenges they're having is the challenges with finances. They made some bad decisions. They bought that big screen TV and some computer stuff. And they got themselves in a hole. They borrowed the money. And now it's starting to come back on them and bite them. And so that's put pressure on their relationship because of the pressure of finances. And Joe opens up to me and he says, we've been friends, we've talked a lot, talked about a lot of things in our families. Can I tell you a little bit about something that's really eating away at me? I'm losing some sleep over this. And Joe shares that. Well, I'm going to talk to Joe like a buddy and a friend, because he is. We have a relationship. I have that permission because he asked, and he started it. Now, as a Christian... I'm not just a Christian talking to him or a friend at work, fellow worker. I'm a missionary because my church has equipped me to do this. And in the next episode, I'm going to continue this conversation by telling you how we can equip people to do this. But I'm going to save it for then or we'll be out of time. So I'm going to talk to Joe. I'm not going to invite him to church. But I'm going to start a conversation. If we don't have enough time at work, I'm going to say, hey, can we go out sometime? Hey, how about me and my wife? You know, going out with you and your wife. And uh, maybe go to dinner or something. How would you like to do that? Or whatever. The whole dynamic is on its ear. 180 degrees turned around. I don't know how this happened to the church where we decided that the Great Commission said, y'all come to church. Invite a friend to church. It sure wasn't when we were in the mission. We weren't in the mission posture when we did that stupid idea. Again, there are a few exceptions, but it's rare. But the Holy Spirit can do that rare thing. But if the Holy Spirit isn't doing that holy thing, that miracle thing, then don't abuse that person by inviting him to church. It's culture shock for that person or that couple or that family. I don't know where we got this idea, y'all come. Last time I looked at the Great Commission, it started with the word go, not y'all come. We have got to turn the whole worldview around 
of our churches. And some churches try to do this. You know, they put a sign at the exit of the parking lot where it says you are now entering the mission field. And that's cool. That's a great start. But guess what? That's a program. That's just a sign. Don't expect a lot of results. Not a bad idea. Not a bad sign. Not a bad start. But if you don't turn this around in the minds and the hearts and the worldviews of the people in your church, you're just blowing smoke. It isn't going to work. But it's a good start. Nothing wrong with it. But it's just a sign. It's a little tiny program. But unless you enculturate the culture of mission in people, at the end of the day, it's just a sign. Is there a little nudge there? Sure. Yeah, not a bad thing. But that's all it is. It's a baby step toward turning your church around. But until you get in kingdom culture and people begin to live that culture and understand that culture in all of its elements, the values, the beliefs, the attitudes, the priorities and the worldviews, until that's embedded in them and they catch that yeast of the kingdom we talked about in our last episode, the sign isn't going to do it. It's a quick fix. Quick fixes are what they are. Quick fixes. They don't do much. Might do a little. Don't do much. Instead of taking people to church, go. Take church to people. And this works really well when the leadership focuses on the culture of witnessing, which is the subject of episode number seven. And so... I hope you're looking forward to next time. It's going to be fun. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.